My name is Jen Buchholz. I'm a forensics and criminal justice professor at American Military University, an Army veteran, and a criminal investigator for my local sheriff's department. I'm George Jared. I'm an investigative journalist and award-winning true crime author. Together, George and I are the lead investigators for AMU's cold case investigative team. This season, we're working to break the case for the family of Linda Malcolm. This podcast contains details and descriptions of actual homicide victims and their injuries, including sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Break the Case. We also know that Linda was a badass. This woman would fight back. She is not somebody that you could just mess with. She had many defensive wounds, so she was able to put up a fight. The killer was unable to overpower her immediately. That's a clue. That's a big clue about the killer. The last known sighting or documentation we have of Linda is on Tuesday afternoon at 2.16 when she made a purchase at her local Safeway grocery store. We don't know what the items were, but her total bill was around $116, so it was something significant. That is so interesting because it's quite a bit of money for a single person to spend on groceries. We will find out somehow, some way, what she bought and why she bought it. She sent a curious email to all of her siblings on Tuesday the 29th, and they were not accustomed to getting an email like this from her. And so it raises some questions and what some of the implications of it could be. Linda had eight siblings, and George and I wanted to connect with some of them to capture their recollections of Linda and their thoughts on how her case had been handled through the years. We first called Diana Malcolm, one of Linda's sisters. So, Diana, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe some of your good memories of Linda? Linda was my younger sister. She was two and a half, almost three years younger than me. Her and I actually roomed together, too, for a while. I had already lived out by myself, and her and I actually roomed as roomies for a while. We had a lot of good times, and then we parted ways, and then not too long after that, she went to the Navy. Uh, She was supposed to go with a buddy, but that girl had a hearing problem, so poor Linda got stuck going in by herself. Oh, geez. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, she was stuck. Oh, no. Her girlfriend couldn't go. They're going in on the buddy system. (laughs) So, um, but she ended up going in, and she was just wild and liked to party, and she just was, you know, she she was quiet when she was little, though. She was the real quiet, shy one. She got older. She just got to be bold and did what she wanted, said what she wanted. What was she into? Like, what did she like to do? Like, even um, in high school as a kid, what were some things that just piqued her interest? We used to go roller skating all the time. and Later on, she liked karaoke, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She Didn't I hear to that? Kar- <laughs> yes, yes. She yeah. liked to go sing karaoke. She liked to go over to parties. And once she got into the Navy and all that, she was pretty private about her life. She never said much about it. Even when we lived together and I could tell that she got hurt by a guy or something, she'd always keep up that tough stance, though, like it didn't matter. But I knew it did. But she wouldn't say it did. She had a, one kind of a long-term boyfriend that lasted quite a while, and then they broke up. And then she was engaged once when she was in the Navy, and then they ended up breaking up. But I, I think both of them, that was with her drinking and, you know, stuff they got. They got in fights. I think they both got in trouble in the Navy. Mm-hmm. She, had to, she got sent to uh, this tiny little island way out, and I guess you get shipped out there when you're 
do something wrong or something. I can't. Oh, really? Yeah, I hit some little oh. bitty island. Oh, Diego Garcia. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah. So how long did she have to be there for? I'm trying to think of it was a year or two. Wow, that's a while. <laughs> I know. And then she ended up back on the West Coast. And then after she served her second term or whatever, she got out. But uh, but she loved Washington. She loved where she lived there. Fort Orchard, she said it was beautiful, and she'd never moved back here. And Don Johnson is the one boyfriend she had for a long time out there. Mm-hmm. He has met my sisters before because he took them out to dinner. Okay. When they were when they visited Linda at one time, mm-hmm. so he has met the three older sisters. Okay, because they had all went to see Linda for her birthday one year, and he took them all out to dinner. Okay, and the thing is, I know that he loved Linda and stuff, but her drinking, she kept saying, "Well, he quit drinking, and she she wasn't going to quit drinking." What kind of work did Linda do in the Navy, and then afterwards? Well, you know, she could never say. Whatever she did was classified. Oh, okay. So she couldn't tell us. And whatever she did in the prosecutor's office was classified. She didn't do paralegal before she went in, but I think that's kind of what she learned in the Navy. Okay. I'm not really sure what she did at the county prosecutor, but I kind of think that's kind of what she did. We would ask her what she did, and she'd say it had to do with communication or something, but she couldn't say anything because it was confidential. Okay. And that's probably true <laughs> with lots of but jobs she, in the military she, like that. She got a lot of awards. Like she, she's got pictures of her accepting awards and stuff that we didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what was her, what was her lifestyle like? I mean, what did she do for fun aside from karaoke? <laughs> she liked to go out and party and drink and have a good time. And I don't know if she got into some bad people, but I know she got into some drugs really bad out there. Mm-hmm. Um, because in 2006, my nephew died and and I didn't get to go to the funeral because I had just had back surgery, but they all went and my sister Cindy said, there's something going on with Linda. Something's wrong with her. Mm -hmm. Then it was that April that she got arrested and they called her the courthouse lady or whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, For all those drugs. But then Mm -hmm. somehow she ended up out of that trouble. Yeah, all the charges were dropped, I think, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she got fired not, so she had trouble getting a job. And then somewhere along in there, she had met a guy. This was like a year or two when she, before she came home in 2007. She met a guy, and she said he was the one, you know. And apparently they had gotten into a little spat, and she never heard from him again. And it really hurt her feelings until she found out I don't know how many months later, somebody he knew saw her and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you knew. The guy ended up dying suddenly of some kind of heart thing. Oh, wow. So tragic. That just like broke her heart because Mm -hmm. I can imagine. She didn't know why he never called her back, but that was why. Because I thought she was doing better for a while. So I don't know if that's what got her back into some of that stuff or not. Then I heard after she left, I wasn't over there. See, I'm not a big drinker like most of my family. But I guess they were sitting late one night, and I guess they had been drinking, and I guess Linda was telling them all this sex stuff she was doing on the Internet and stuff for money and different stuff. And I had talked to her a few nights before, and 
she didn't say any of that to me. I guess they said, you know, Linda, you need to be careful what you're doing, you know. I can yeah. take care of myself. But that's how Linda always was, you know, I can take care of myself. I mean, honestly, my sister, when she drank a lot, she mm-hmm. became mean, cruel, you know, not, not just a mean drug, but I mean cruel. Mm-hmm. And she could say some awful things to people. When her and I lived together, I heard her yell at some guy, heard some guy running down the stairs and going out. She goes, yeah, you better run out of here, motherfucker. I go, why? She goes, he pissed my bed. And I said, Oops. I said, well, that's what you get from bringing drunk to home, you know? So the next week, she sees him at the bar and she yells across the bar, you're the motherfucker pissed in my bed. Oh, boy. Linda. <laughs> I said, Linda, you cannot do it. Yes, I can. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff she would do to people. <laughs> she did not care. Sometimes there's something to be said for that, actually. <laughs> yes, there is. But sometimes it, that pushes people a little too far. You know, I, I feel really bad because I feel like maybe I should have talked to her more and found out what she was up to. I feel like I let her down somehow. I didn't know what she was going through, but I feel like maybe I should have known more. I should have known more about her life because we know so little. Well, I don't think there's any blame to be put on anybody except for the person that took her life from her. You guys had different schedules and different things going on. And I mean, we all experienced that. So it's not out of the ordinary at all. Linda was going to live her life the way she wanted to live it. And it wasn't for me to judge one way Mm -hmm. or the other, you know. When and how did you hear about Linda's death? I was across at my neighbor's talking to her, and my phone rang, and it was my brother-in-law, Dale, and he said, you need to find out where your sister Chris is. He said, you need to go to your mom's and then call us when you guys are all together. I said, okay. He said, just go do it. What were you thinking? My daughter had happened to come over. She goes, you want me to drive? And I said, yeah. I said, it's either Linda or Rochelle. I, it was, mm-hmm. I knew it was one of the two. Mm-hmm. So she drove and my other sister got there and we called and then found out that actually the coroner showed up at Cindy's house. We talked to McKinney and, well, it was Martin, but I never saw Martin's name again on any of that report. It's weird, but... What did they convey to you guys, like, about the actual crime scene? They didn't tell me anything. Now, see, all the the other girls went up there, and I think they were so traumatized because they said they themselves could walk onto her property and look inside the window and see the devastation. Well, I'm glad they were able to access it, to be honest. What did they tell you about her injuries or cause of death? I called there in 2019, and they would not tell me. They said, we can't release it, but I will tell you this. She said, your sister didn't suffer. She, she said she had defensive wounds on the forearms. She had a cut across the right breast. And she said, and then she was cut in her carotid. She said she would have bled out within, you know, seconds and wouldn't have known anything. She said, so she didn't suffer if that's what you're wanting So that, for all these years, is what I have thought Mm -hmm. until I read that report. Right. So we, you got the autopsy report finally, right? After 14 plus years. Yes. And I know it's difficult, so we don't have to talk in too much depth. Oh, it's okay. 
Jen, did you notice? I didn't. I didn't see it in there. I may have just missed it. Did it say how many times she had been stabbed? Well, you have to kind I, of count them up yourself. I, but can, I think I counted eighteen. Okay, I was going to say seventeen, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, I started with the head and then went down, and then mm-hmm. and, and I I stopped at like you know it's like okay, it seems like eighteen. And what we can say with pretty high confidence is that she passed away before the fire because her CO two level was nine percent. And anything yeah, under twenty, anything under twenty yeah. percent, you need to look at another cause of death. So, yeah, I did notice that. But did you see? And I and I googled it, but it said where there was like two and a half liters of blood yeah. on the floor beneath her, and mm-hmm. then three inside her body yeah. cavity, chest cavity. So yep. actually, George, she suffered almost the same injury that Debbie Williamson did through the heart. She did through the right yeah. atrium of the heart and blood out internally. Because, and you know what? There are. Five, approximately five liters of blood in the human body. So yep. she literally bled out. Yep. Inside Just and inside out. She bled out internally and externally. Yes. Yeah. But it wasn't fast, like the lady told no. me. It was slow. No. But I imagine Linda, I'm sure she fought and I'm sure it was high adrenaline, but I'm sure she suffered too, though. I can say she did not die immediately. No, she did not. This sounds like this was a struggle. The way they describe some of those knife wounds as going in and thrusting up and pulling, mm-hmm. I mean, it just sounds horrible. And then I, then I think, you know, she wasn't supposed to be doing anything that night, according to her friend. She's starting a new job the next morning. But, you know, I knew she didn't have any money. Is it somebody she knows or did somebody offer some money one last time and she picked up a freak? I mean, I don't know. That's what we're going to try to figure out. <laughs> I would just be really upset if it's something like that and we never can find out because they screwed up the whole damn crime scene. Well, I was just going to move into the investigation part. So what has been done over the years by law enforcement to investigate your sister's murder? I was told they had set up a tip line at one time, but I don't know that that's true. Okay. That was during the... Detective Foster's time. I asked them about Crime Stoppers, but as far as I know, they never did anything. I asked them repeatedly about getting the Washington State Police involved because they kept saying, well, we're a small. I said, I I understand you're a small agency. I do. Mm -hmm. That is why I'm asking you to get another agency involved. Exactly. Yeah, it wouldn't hurt. You don't have the resources. I get it. So get some help. Do you You know... know if they found any sort of forensic evidence that might lead in the direction of the killer? What they told us, they said they found some DNA evidence, which they said the DNA database didn't come up to anything yet. Okay. Now, that was the last thing Chief Brown tried to tell me that it will show in there that I did ask for the autopsy yeah. two other times. I saw that. Yep. In 2009 and in 2015. Yes, you did. I thought the first time I read through that autopsy where it said the arson investigation was closed. Um, hmm. The arson side of it might be if it's... Okay, but if that's the case, how come I can't have a copy of the arson report? Right. Because remember, when I asked for a copy, they said it was still open. No, it's not. I got to read through that again, but I thought somewhere in that report, I saw where they had closed that investigation. Okay, let's find that wording. Yeah. 
because I agree it's been on the back of my mind like we should try to send it a Freedom of Information Act to the fire department or a records request well, because, or however that works. Because, yeah, because when I saw that, I thought, wait a minute. This says here they close it. And they said we can't because it's an open investigation. Well, according to that report, if I read it right now, I got to find it again. I could have swore it said the arson investigation was closed. And if that's the case, they have no reason not to give it to me. I agree. Other than they're going to tie it to an open homicide investigation, it's probably right. going to be their excuse. But it doesn't yeah, hurt to try. I think she was just trying to get by the best way she knew to get by. Sure. Without a job. Yeah. Not an easy situation to be in. No. So you Plus find one, you know. planning to move, you know, that's stressful. Yeah. Starting a new job. Yeah, and like, find it out. He wants to tear it down and she's got to move, you know, and not having a job and all that had to be stressful. It's a lot. That's you right. Know, so remind she, listeners, her living situation, she was a renter, correct? She rented the house. Yes. And, yes. and she had lived there approximately how many years? Oh, ever since she got out of the Navy. So at least 10 or 15 years, maybe. In the same place. Mm-hmm. And then what was the deal with the landlord? What did he want to do with all the place? All of a sudden, he wanted to tear it down because he wanted to build an apartment complex. And is that what was forcing her to move? Yes. Did she ever talk about her relationship with her landlord? No. She said her landlord was letting her live there the last month rent-free because she didn't have a job. But she rented from him for a long time now. She never did say anything bad about her landlord. So I'm assuming it must have been a good relationship because she rented from him for a long time. And I go back to this guy, but I don't know whatever happened to him. Did they ever investigate him? The guy that set her up that got her arrested on that drug charge, she got off, but he ended up going to jail for something. So, you know, mm. he, he, there's somebody who's got an ax to pick with her. Sure. Drugs and sex are the two things that I can see, yep. and money, making people the matter. Money, yep. <laughs> you got yep. it. Yeah. You know, that would be far-fetched, too, because, I mean, I don't even know who that person is. Right. But we might be able to find that out. Yeah. I literally lived trying to get this case. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, I talked to them weekly. And Detective Foster, he had a cell phone, and he let me call him whenever I wanted. That's a good detective. He was. He was great. Yeah. And he's the one that took over after they pulled McKinney and Martin off. Okay, that's right. Which I was glad because he he was the next person that they put on, and he was... The best person for that time, because we were still raw, and he listened to me many hours. I mm -hmm. mean, I would call him on a holiday. I would call. He didn't care. He would talk to me. I was going to go up there one year, and he did put a, a special on TV. It was 2014. He did a televised event and everything. That's great. Trying to get, get stuff going, you know, attention to Linda's case again. And how long was he on her case for, approximately? Oh, he was on her case for ooh, five, six years, okay. something like that. A long you, time. Is he still on the force, or do you know? No, he's re no, he's retired. Okay. I think actually he's already on my spreadsheet of people to try to find. But and then Beth Death Deathridge took it next, and then mm -hmm. I heard she's retired now. Okay. She was pretty helpful, pretty straightforward about a lot of things. I don't know if you saw in the 911 call log, there's a thing where it says, saw somebody running from house. Yes. Yes. Hoping we can like, find oh. the neighbor that made that report. 
Yeah, I'm like, well, that's interesting because nobody ever told my sisters this. And who was it that's supposed well, yeah. to be running? It's the middle of the night, too. You know, yeah. Why didn't they follow up on that 911 call? Well, they may have, and we don't know. I know. But I guess what I will say is if the neighbor of Linda yeah. who made that call is listening, please reach out to us so that we can um, try to pick your brain and your memory on what you saw. And maybe we can get a rough description of the person that yeah. you saw coming out of her house. That would be really helpful. Yes, because that never got answered. That never even got yeah. mentioned to us. That was the first thing I saw. They never even talked about following up on that. I imagine oh, they, they probably did, <laughs> I hope. But I could yeah. see where that would also be something they would keep very private. Have you seen the poem, The Dash? Oh, yes. Yeah. The day, this is weird, the day before Linda died. Linda sent us that. Mm-hmm. And she said, makes you think, doesn't it? To me, that's kind of like a religious thing, you know. And she would always get on me, quit sending me that religious stuff. And anytime I sent her anything that had to do with God or whatever. So I thought that was kind of odd. And then she started talking about there being a silver lining and things are looking better. And that was just like afternoon before. Yeah. There's been many times I really have thought, God, are you sure she's not in the witness protection program? Well, are you sure that she wrote that email? Could it have been someone else that got into her account? Well, it was the day before because I sent her an email back. Uh-huh. And told her I was happy that her life. Well, you know, they could have. She sent it to all of us. Yeah, I think all of you guys got it. Has she ever sent you guys like a mass email like that before? No. Hmm. Now that you say that, no. There's two parts to that because, one, if she never did it, that's not alarming, but it's interesting. Number two, if someone else sent the email, they would have to know her intimately enough to know or be able to find your guys' email addresses. Right. In her. right. It's interesting. Definitely. At some point, we may put the text of that email out and see what other people think about it. Yeah. I'm yeah. still trying to get over the devastating thing that my sister was stabbed. Oh, for sure. Your but- mom's still alive, right? And Linda's mom. Yes. Yeah. Yes, she is. <laughs> How old is your mom? God, God love her, she is. She'll be 94 in December. Wow. And obviously she would like to have some answers. Yes. Well, my mom's kind of gave up. She doesn't believe that they're trying. She really doesn't. Well, hopefully we can renew a little faith with her. <laughs> but I can understand that. There's got to come a point with family members where you throw your arms up. Like, I don't know what else to do. Oh, I just figured I was going to have to go out there myself. And if I have to shake, rattle, and roll, I'll walk up yeah. to, you know, a station. I'll cause a scene so I can say, you know, all I want to know is what happened to my sister. Exactly. Well, if you go you on know, the 15th, I know we would like to try to go with you. Yeah, it's her but, 15th year anniversary. and mm-hmm. It's on the 30th, so I plan on being there for okay. that. But so. hopefully before then, we can make get a lot more yes. traction and progress. Yeah, yeah. So. we'll have more progress. So most likely... Linda's killer is going to be listening to this. So what do you want to say to them? I want to see you rot in jail. I don't want you to have a death sentence because I want you to live every day in a nasty jail cell. Day after day doing the same thing over and over and over. And I want to write you letters taunting you till the day you die or the day I die. Yeah, someone has gotten to go on and live you know, more than 14 more years of their life. And 
probably in freedom and might have a family and loved ones and whatnot. George and I frequently interact and speak with victims' family members. And even though neither of us have been through the situation, it tears at us too to see what you guys go through, especially when there's no answers and a case has basically gone cold. And so I hope that we can at least get some forward progress for you and for Linda. When a crime is committed, clues live within digital devices. That's digital forensics. Learn how to process and analyze that data by earning a Bachelor's of Science in Digital Forensics from American Military University. Classes are online with monthly program starts. Learn more about AMU's Digital Forensics degree by visiting amuonline.com forensics. We learned a lot from Diana and we appreciated her insights. Another sister, Rochelle, wanted to share her memories of Linda and thoughts on the case. She and Jennifer had a conversation a short while later. Hello. Hey, Rochelle. Yes, ma'am. It's Jen. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you. How are you? Pretty good. Is this an okay time? Yes, ma'am. So when was the last time you saw Linda? Back in 2004, when my nephew passed away, Linda came to visit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she I'm came sorry. to the funeral. Yeah, that's the last time I seen her. I mean, I talked to her on the phone, but she was laying in this little waiting pool that she had, and she was laying in a lawn chair inside of there. Love that's it. how she got her suntan, <laughs> and then she was cleaning her kitchen. I asked her if she cleaned it with a toothbrush because it took her forever to just put her, like, a five-by-eight patch on her wall. <laughs> so she <laughs> it with a toothbrush. <laughs> she was all getting really clean, but she was, you know, she was drinking her wine, and and that she'd been laying out in the center, a little waiting pool. And that was about it. Talked about her job that she lost, and she was devastated because of that. She ended up uh, getting all of her unemployment. I remember that. I think that's really all we talked about. Mm-hmm. She was happy that she's getting a new job. Um, she's going to move. We went to her apartment, picked up her keys, and Christine and I were there. Yeah. It was odd. There was a lot of her personal stuff at first in the front yard, just threw out in the yard. Mm-hmm. You know, and anybody could go through, like, personal papers on other people, like files on people. Maybe from like work? She, was, she wasn't working anywhere. That was, was really strange. Um, as far as I knew, she was doing unemployment. But in her front yard, there was, like, like a lots and lots of files on people. Wow. In Manila folders. What, did they, the did they look charred or singed or, like, they had been no. in the house at the time of the fire? No, they weren't in the fire because we could read them. Huh. Yeah, and I found a necklace of hers in the driveway that had never been in the fire. Really? You happen to be walking up there, and I seen it on the ground. As a matter of fact, I still have it. Wow. It was never in the fire. It smelled like fire. Everything else smelled like fire. When we left, we had it. You know, our clothes were horrible. I bet. Uh, yeah. But, um, was there was a gentleman in the driveway. I remember he, he said he was in the service station out in Linda and Puget Sound, and he heard about the, what had happened, and he was just standing in the driveway. Did he say anything else? No, that was it. I just asked him his name, and he said, you know, that he knew her, and he was, you know, how he knew her, and that was the end. I was kind of creeped out about it, actually. That's why I didn't stand and talk to him much longer. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know who killed her. You never know. Yeah. I don't want to give out any information. Okay. Where did he go, or what happened? He just... I, I don't know. He just vanished. We were in the backyard looking through her stuff that was thrown out in the back. Some of her stuff that was out of the closet. I uh, had her personal stuff in there. And then we would come around the corner, and he was standing there in the middle of the driveway. And I was like, who are you? And he told me, and I asked him how he knew her, and he said that he was in service with her. He had been stationed out. I don't think he lived there any longer. He was there visiting, and he seen that her house was on fire. I don't know how he could do that she lived there. 
I'm not for sure if it was known yet that they put her name to the paper or whatever. George has a friend who's a fire investigator. I'm going to send him the stuff on Linda so that he can give us some good insight into what he thinks happened in terms of the fire. Right. She had it, her garage outside was locked. Uh-huh. And that's where she kept her, her grill, gas grill and any, any type of thing that she needed gasoline or anything. It was in the garage and it was locked. And that was a detached garage, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, it was a garage. She had a lot of stuff in there. Matter of fact, she had her um, will in there. Really? Yeah, that's where we found her will. It was in with her, her dog papers. Hmm. Okay. We asked the neighbor when they said any type of gasoline or anything she had, she was very careful. She always kept it in the garage. And the garage was locked. Matter of fact, the landlord had come over and unlock it for us. That's what I was going to ask you. So it was locked when you got there. Yes. Right. Because obviously that's a huge question. Did this person have to go get gas and bring it to the scene? Or were they able to find something on yeah, site? Yeah, very to leave and come back it's so risky and if they did that i mean that's a huge clue i mean it's possible they just took newspaper and got lucky that it engulfed the whole house but that's something hopefully the fire investigator can tell us is whether he sees signs of an accelerant being used and if so where does he think the fire was started so yeah we'll see what he has to say because that's definitely not my area of expertise well, let me see. She died at three, and the fire was started at four. It was, it was recovered at four. So, yeah, the nine one one call came in at three fifty eight, but yeah. the coroner could not tell for sure when she died. And uh, one thing that I know is going to end up being super interesting is we have a guy who's a knife expert. Like he makes knives for a living. And he consulted with us on our last case. And so I sent him some information on Linda's and he's going to get back to us and do an interview on his thoughts on like what type of knife was used, maybe what position does he think, you know, wounds to the front were delivered first, maybe to the back, whatever. He's really good at analyzing that kind of stuff. She was a fighter. She used to fight boys when we went to school. She always was fighting boys. She used to fight a boy for me one time. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, he used to pick on me all the time, and so she she got to a fight with him, and he had her down on the ground, and, and she got mad at me, and she wouldn't know. But you couldn't help me. I said, well, if I wanted to do it, I'd do it myself. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but she was, you know, she was a, a fighter. Yeah. You know, she, she never put up with no crap. Well, Um, and that's a clue, too. The fact that she was able to put up quite a fight against this person tells us that the killer was not able to overpower her immediately, which probably right. gives us a clue about their size. Because she's got extensive defensive wounds and the injury to the head, which the coroner thought, asked his opinion on that. And he said his top guess would be that she suffered that injury during this altercation. So either like her head hit something or at some point, obviously, she fell or was pushed or forced to the ground. Right. Um, Hit her head. Yeah. But he didn't think that the person hit her in the head with something, if that makes sense. He thinks her head no. hit a wall or a corner or furniture or something right. like that. Yeah. But she had a blunt force injury to the front of her chest, so I'm thinking maybe they hit her in the chest. Yeah. In the chest, and she yeah. fell and hit her head. Could be, yep. I've been over and over and over in my head ever since things happened to her. It's just... Yeah. I just can't imagine what was going through her mind at the time. I can't you know, either. Just, I can't. The terror and, oh, my God. Yeah. And I asked the, the detective, I said, well, why wouldn't she yell? Why didn't anybody hear her? And he said, well, it could be a one-sided argument where someone's got something in their hand. Yeah. Well, and sometimes in the heat of the moment, you just, your voice kind of goes away because your body isn't 
absolute survival mode and you're in such a physical altercation the only thing your body is kind of thinking about is that altercation and how to get out of it yeah defense yeah Yeah, exactly but also you know a couple of those wounds punctured her lungs they did that so she couldn't scream or he couldn't even fight back yeah no she was winded she would have been winded exactly yep yep unfortunately i mean i can't imagine anybody doing such a thing me well, either. I don't sleep at night. Exactly. How do they live with themselves? I just, I can't fathom it. How you can go about your daily yeah. life knowing you did so, that to somebody. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been so long, long ago. Yeah. You know, um, things trigger my memory when I read some things. I'm like, oh, yeah. Exactly. And Don has been a good help. From what I can tell, he's told us everything he can remember, and he's made some connections for us, so he's been really helpful. Yeah. And Linda also owed some money to one of their friends, Don's friends, and he was wanting it back from her. Yeah. I remember that. Ed Wilson, I think, is his name. Yeah, probably. I can't yeah, remember. That's I don't what I've ever heard his name. Don had told me him and Ed had lent her some money in the days prior to her death. But what's weird, so I was going through Linda's bank statements, and she had almost $5,000 in her bank account. So I'm, like, really confused on why... She would be borrowing borrowing money. money. (laughs) Yeah, I know that is weird, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's another question that we'll work on. Yeah, and you may want to check uh, the records at the police department of the drugs that she had because she had told me that it was personal use when she got arrested. Uh Uh, But when we went to go see the detective, he showed us pictures and it was a lot more than that. And he showed us pictures of what she actually had and what she had told me was totally different. I don't know why she wouldn't tell me the truth. I, I really don't pass judgment, you know. Those are all good issues that we need to work on and we will work on. Um, because yeah. if this is premeditated, why didn't you pick an easier way to take somebody out? Like, stabbing someone's really hard and and messy. Yeah. They had to be messy and bloody, you and know. And know they, what they were doing, too. They were just stabbing at the right areas, you know. I think of myself, if I'm like angry, so I'm going to just stab wherever. You know, and maybe I might hit something, but it looks to me like they were trying to do this. Yeah. They were going for vital organs, clearly. Um, and clearly the intent was homicide. So Exactly. And so that's also a clue, though, that this most likely wasn't a stranger. I highly doubt it. Right. <clears throat> this is someone well, that I highly she... doubt that, too. Yeah. I think it's somebody's upfront personal that she knows. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know much about her friends, except for people I was introduced there since she's been murdered. When I talked to her on the phone, I never really talked to her about her friends or what was going on. We talked about home and, and our families and stuff. Was there anything else about the scene that stuck out to you? Anything else that was strange? I don't know if you've seen the pictures with the carport. Does it look as bad as the car mm-hmm. in the back? And then, no, not really. I mean, you couldn't go in the house. I know that mm-hmm. at all. We was looking through the windows and stuff. And I didn't think her bedroom looked as bad as I thought it did. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could see her bed, but we were looking in the same window they took her out of. We yeah. didn't know that at the time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the only thing that was really weird is some of the things that didn't burn that should have. Well, God bless you all. I mean, just taking an interest in it because we don't know where to go from there. We're just at a dead end. Yeah. You know, we can't, you know, can't force the police to do something. They, they put it as a cold case and just put it on the shelf. I know. Well, and the advantage is, you know, me and George, we only work one case at a time. So this is it. And we share pretty much everything that we can gather that seems of use, we give it to the investigating authorities so they can do what they want with it. And, you know, a lot of these interviews that we do with people, like, we can take that pressure off police. We understand they don't have the time to track everybody down, but we do. Right. So Exactly. um, 
and a lot a lot of people are hesitant to talk to law enforcement anyways but then they'll talk to us so yeah it's you know there's a lot of advantages and i guess a reporter from the kitsap sun is running an article this week on linda's case and like our team and everything and she talked Uh to chief brown and i guess he said that the department is planning something for the 15 year anniversary in april so I haven't heard specifically what that is, but I was like, well, that's definitely a positive sign, I think. It's back on their radar, obviously, and we're going to yeah. go. Me and George will go in April. Yeah. If you let a cold case go, they'll let it just sit there. Of course, yeah, yeah. We'll get there. Just I know it's sure. been a long, long time, and I understand that this is traumatic to have to talk about it again and go through this again, but I just really appreciate you guys helping us. Yeah, you know, the most traumatic thing is the coroner's report which we didn't I expect I mean, I we, we expected it to be graphic but not, nothing what they told us i know yeah so yeah i said think about i just don't understand i'm yeah, so grateful mike's seen that flyer i'm glad that he thought of her when he seen that because mm-hmm. every year we never heal you know it's always no. something gets brought up and and so um i'm just so glad that you guys are on it and we get to know a lot more about it than than before Sure. We're involved. And so it's it's, um, good for us, actually. Yeah. Well, I hope we can find you guys some answers. I mean, I can't promise, but what I can promise is that we have a lot of resources to bring to the table. And we are connecting with a lot of people who haven't talked to police in 15 years or have never talked to police. So, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. So, we're going a lot further than they are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're working it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you are. But we'll keep in touch, and I will do the same. And as things develop, you know, I'll send you guys emails and stuff or call you. All right, well, thank you for calling me. I appreciate it. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Okay, you have a good day. Okay, take care of yourself. Thank you. You too. Bye. In these early stages of our investigation, we learned a lot about Linda from her family members. As we do in every case we take on, it was now time to travel to Port Orchard to examine the location of the murder, meet with officials, and find some of Linda's friends. Next time on Break the Case. We would like to be the first of our feet in Seattle with the local time is now 8.52. I met with Jeff first, the coroner. He goes, so what can I help you answer? And he said, well, I'd like to make a sketch of her injuries because that may reveal some clues or whatever. He just handed me a thumb drive. He goes, well, here's all the photos. What's just as valuable is they took a lot of photos at the scene inside the house. So now we have our own set of crime scene photos. Almost every time I met her or ran into her, she was usually by herself. Sat down at the corner of the bar. She wasn't very happy that day. She was just like staring straight out there. She was there, but she wasn't there. But she didn't mention that she had already got a place. Maybe she didn't want us to know yet. Maybe that's what she was worried about. She didn't want nobody to know where she was moving to. She was antsy and no place to go, but one to go. This podcast is brought to you by American Military University. Narrated and produced by Jen Buchholz with co-host and investigative journalist, George Jared. Senior producers, Leishan Kranick, Andy Crow, and Kristen Kretzler with support from Lisa Tanis. Sound engineering and editing by Harvest Creative Services. 
Subscribe to Break the Case on iHeartRadio, Google, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.